You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Banana. Aristotle was not Belgian. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. It's so nice to talk to you. This episode's coming out a little later than our normal Tuesday uh, schedule. The reason for that is twofold. The first one is my computer is dying. So I was not able to uh, get everything up and running and fixed uh, over the weekend like I normally like to do. But the second reason is because today we're doing something totally different than we have done in the past. Today's episode is a spoiler filled conversation about the new movie Hereditary. Um, there is a lot of talk about this movie. There has been a lot of talk about this movie, but I think it's really important. Like, I think this is a very, very cool opportunity we have to have a, a really interesting conversation. And my guest is Kaylin Corrigan. Um, Kaylin was on episode 24, 24, um, of the main episode of the main podcast. And she was talking about Brian De Palma specifically through the lens of Carrie. Um, Kaylin is a horror fan. She's also a film uh, journalist and critic and, um, and scholar. And I, I really wanted to have this conversation with Kaylin specifically because Kaylin and I, we, we are about, our tastes are about 50-50 matched. So sometimes we're like totally on the same page with each other, but sometimes we're not. And one place that we, we tend to differ is, um, is a lot of newer genre films, but specifically independent genre films. I've talked about this before, but I know that my tastes are mainstream. They can be mainstream. Um, and as a result, sometimes the more... Mm, uh, less showy. I don't know how you would explain it, but but certain types of genre films um, more annoy me than they do than they do actually scare me or or prove to be interesting as far as I'm concerned. So Hereditary, I knew was going to be a very special case, and I wanted to dive into it with Kaylin specifically. I have I saw this movie back in March at South by Southwest, and um, and uh, I recently saw it again here in Los Angeles ahead of its release date. And after I did that, that's when Caitlin and I sat down. This is a full on spoiler conversation. We are talking about specific plot points. We are talking about analysis. This is a deep dive. This movie comes out in the US. Uh, if you're listening to this on Thursday, the 7th, it comes out tomorrow, Friday, June 8th, 2018. Um, full warning here. Some people, you know, the more and more I, I learn about the way people consume media, some people really don't care about spoilers. Um, some people really do care about spoilers and, you know, I, it's far be it for me to tell anybody like how they should watch a movie or what the best way to watch a movie is. But honestly, as you'll hear in this conversation, and I am usually very anti-spoiler, I don't know 
if it's better to know nothing about this movie going in or if it's better to know a lot about this movie going in. Um, as you'll hear in this conversation, I've seen the movie twice. I need to see it a third time. Um, I want to see it a third time. If for no other reason than I want to continue to put the pieces together and see what I actually think about it. Um, so fair warning, if you listen to this, there are uh, plot spoilers and detailed conversation but I will also say that this might not be a movie where uh, where that's such a problem. So I'll leave it with that. Um, general vague intro. My guest is Kaylin Corrigan. We are talking about Hereditary, which is an out tomorrow, Friday, June 8th from A24. It is a genre film. It is intense. And here we go. <laughs> I know. It is filled with trauma. Trauma just even reading the press notes. <laughs> um, all right. So, Kaylin's still here. I haven't let her leave yet. <laughs> I've taken over her Friday night because we're going to talk about hereditary. Um, and uh, I am so glad. So, okay. First things first, spoilers. Big spoilers. We're talking about this movie as though you have seen it. So fair warning. Don't if you don't care about spoilers, fine. I feel like actually, in a way, it might be better if you have like an idea about what's going on before you actually see the movie. That's we'll get into that. Um, but I particularly wanted to talk to you about this movie because you and I have I'd say 50-50 taste, like meaning some things you and I see to completely eye to eye on and some things you and I see completely differently on. And so um, let's just talk, let's start by like general impressions. So I saw your tweets, you and Haley <laughs> were like gutted by the end of the movie. Yes. And so, to, okay, so talk to me about this. Oh boy. This movie like kicked me in the heart. It is one of the most upsetting, grim, messed up, heartbreaking movies I've ever seen, and I'm so glad it exists. Okay, so I I don't know what this says about me, but the first time I saw the movie, I was like, okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just was like, yeah, that was, as I said in, like, in our Carrie episode, well acted, well-directed, intentional. Like, it is a solid movie. There is no question in my mind about that. But I didn't feel anything. And I was also kind of just like, my biggest question the first time I saw it was, why are horror fans freaking out about this? Because I was kind of just like, you guys, we didn't see where this was going. Like we didn't, you know what I mean? Like, or, or that, and, and that's a, that's dismissive, right? I had a very dismissive reaction to it at first. Um, and, but, but then I went home and I was like, I need to watch this trailer. Like, how are they selling this movie? And then I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And I knew immediately I need to go see this. I need to watch this again before I like publicly start talking about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
Now, I'm really curious to hear what you think about it because I remember before I watched it, you telling me that you didn't really like it. Yeah. And I did see, although there was a lot of praise out of South by Southwest and- And Sundance. And Sundance. There were a lot of people also saying that it was too upsetting and that they didn't like it. Interesting. And I'm always fascinated by movies like that. So the minute I heard that, I was like, I need to check this out. Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. And so I started thinking about it because, okay, so first of all, it's A24 is putting it out. And for me, A24 is a very hit or miss production company, meaning their brand. Some some stuff that they put out, I truly love. And then some stuff they put out, I'm just like, this is so A24. It goes full A24. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one point of content is, so I think I hated it comes at night. I know you love it comes at night. Yes, I do. And this is a very A24 movie. You know what I mean? Like, so that was my first thing where I was kind of just like, okay. Oh, but I say that to say, um, with both the witch and the Babadook, the first time I saw them, I, I had the same reaction where I was like, these are very well-made movies. They are very well-acted. I know this. I would definitely recommend them, but I don't feel anything. Yeah. And so I, w- I made sure with both of those to go back and watch them again um, in a theatrical setting. And, and with those two movies, the second time I saw them, because I knew what was going on. Um, and when I say going on, I don't mean like trailer expectations, I mean what's actually going on. Because all of these movies are layered. Like you can take everything at face value, but if you choose to look a little deeper with The Witch, with The Babadook, with um, Hereditary, there is so much more going on. So that is why I knew, okay, I gotta see this movie a second time. And when I did, what I came away with it what I came away from it with was a deeper appreciation for the writer-director because there is so much that he bakes into every single scene, every single, like the knowledge, the knowledge that you have of is this fate, is this predestined, you know, what is supernaturally influenced, who are all of these people, do they show back up again, um, I have such an appreciation for the fact that he really paid attention. That said, I enjoyed that process through the first and second act. By the time I got to the third act, the second time, I was like, I don't know if this adds up. Like, I don't know if this actually works, if that may, from a mythology standpoint, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I meant to look up and see what the mythology of this Pyman character mm-hmm. is because I don't actually know if it's like a real, mm-hmm. real as in based on real mythology yep, same. character or if it's just something that the writer director came up with. So I'm not sure how much he's being influenced by some outside source and how much he's just making up himself. I'm also very forgiving of plot holes if I think what's happening drives the plot forward it doesn't necessarily have to make perfect sense Mm -hmm. if for a scene you just want to dabble in visuals and not really worry about what you're trying to express. Um, But I do feel like this is a very purposeful film and there is so much in every frame. You really do have to pay attention and it is so deeply layered. It's, 
incredibly impressive. I can't believe that this is this guy's first film. Yeah. This would be impressive for like a 10th film. Yeah. There have been over the, over the last two years, a handful of first time writer directors who have truly, um, and they're young guys. Um, and I say that specifically, they're men and they're young men and they're making these movies where I'm just like, how have you never made anything before? The guy, Ben Young, who did... Um, uh, Hounds of Love? Yes, yes, Hounds of Love. You go to his IMDb page, there's nothing there. How? Nothing. How? Not a short... I mean, maybe, maybe it's just not on IMDb. I don't know. But I was just like... Whoa! Like that movie knocked knocked me back. Thoroughbreds, same thing. Yeah. Oh, I wrote this play. Cool. You want to make that into a movie? Oh yeah, I'd love to. That is allegedly the story behind Thoroughbreds, and I was just like, what? But the the acting is great. The stories are great. The writing is great. So agreed. Like this for for Eyes of My Mother, another yeah. one where I was just like, whoa, that's your first movie. Like that's really impressive. Yeah. The Witch. Sure, The Witch, absolutely. Um, so, okay, one thing that I specifically want to talk about. Okay, so a lot of um, promotional materials are comparing the movie to The Exorcist, which I think is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, now, I understand that The Exorcist is sort of the benchmark for scary. Um, so let's put that aside for a second. Anything, I would compare this movie to uh, as like a baby, as like a, a hybrid of Rosemary's Baby and The Shining, um, because because I feel like they're telling us that Tony Collette is doomed from the start, and she maybe it's because when we meet her, um, she's just endured the loss of her mother. But and so we don't see their life before that. But I feel like she starts at a nine, you know, on a scale of one to ten. Similar to the way I feel like Jack Torrance um, in the movie starts at a ten. And it's like, oh, we're just gonna watch this unravel and then yeah, it's gonna have a horrible conclusion. Um, so that's my first thing. What do you think about that? That's interesting. That's a that's a great comparison to The Shining, and I completely understand where you're coming from, and I totally understand why some people have a problem with The Shining for that reason. I, I love The Shining. Normally when there's a new movie and people compare it to The Exorcist, I am very turned off by that because I think, for one, you're just kind of screwing over that filmmaker because Agree. you can't compare, especially a first-time filmmaker, no. to compare him to William Friedkin. That's something that no one can really live up right. to. I will say that this time, probably the only time where I was like, that might be justified. Whoa. This movie is incredibly tense. It's actually scary. I haven't physically reacted to a film like that since I can't even remember. There was like a point during the movie where I would, I would catch myself like kind of with my shoulders mm -hmm. up and my arms in front of me like holding tensely. Um... Or like at some point I was like kind of back in my chair, kind of like almost like cowering down from this movie. Um, people around me were all reacting to it. People that, you know, it's an early screening. So they're all critics. They watch a lot of these movies and people are actually audibly saying no, no, mm -hmm, no. Mm -hmm. It was so great. Um, so I, I it, it was funny. I 
I love the Babadook and I think it's extremely effective. It's extremely well made. I watched this movie and for there's a certain scene when Tony Collette is banging her head on the Yeah, you can say this is spoilers, so okay. go ahead. I hesitated, but yeah, when Tony Collette is banging her head on yeah. the attic, which is like one of the most fucked up things I've ever seen. I thought of the Babadook when she's trying to get in the kids' room and I was like, God, the Babadook yeah. make or uh Hereditary makes the Babadook look like a cutesy bedtime story. Sure. It's just so above and beyond. Every 10 minutes, I was something would happen, and I would be like, well, surely that's the most upsetting thing that's going to happen in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then 10 more minutes would go by, and something else would happen. It was just relentless. Yeah. It's, um, so, so, I want to, I am curious, because I was asking... I was emailing with Ryan Fonz, who is a publicist um, and uh, and a friend, and we were and I was like, so what? What's the deal with like this Exorcist comparison? Like, let's talk about it. And he was like, well, I think it actually is similar to the Babadook, and I think it's an exploration of grief. Yeah, which I do not agree with. <laughs> I do not think this is a movie about grief at all. I think this is a movie about destiny. Interesting. And I think this is a movie about, and it's a little heavy handed the way they introduce it, like the kids class, you know, oh, now we're going to talk about this Greek myth. And it's like, okay. But the second time around, I picked up on that. Like they introduce, you know, we're in Alex Wolf's class pretty early in the film and they're talking about fate versus, you know, your, your own ability to make your own way. And with that in mind, knowing what I knew and then watching it again, it was like, no, this was, this was, this was gonna go this way. Yeah. No matter what. Um, and I didn't get, like, she does, to me, Tony Collette's character doesn't process the grief. Like, it's weird because it's this, it's this kind of dipping its toe in that. This mother, she's clearly devastated at the loss of her daughter um, and the violent way that she, and she finds her daughter. I mean, it is just so fucked up, right? Yes, I get that. But she doesn't, I think it goes back to like that shining comparison. For me, she doesn't really descend. You know what I mean? Like it's, it. so yeah. Yeah. That's what I think about that Uh, yeah uh i love that you brought up the classroom scene because i really loved that scene um it felt very halloween to me it felt it felt very nightmare on elm street uh, yeah yeah yeah, totally very halloween yes i I love in halloween when laurie strode is in the classroom and they're talking about fate and she says like yeah fate is immovable like a mountain it stands where man passes away fate never changes and i felt that so strongly when i was watching this movie and they're in the classroom and there's something that on the board that even says like punishment brings about wisdom. Yeah, totally. It's just like everywhere you look, there's something telling you what's happening or something you should be reading into. But um, yeah, I I get what you're saying about Tony Collette and her performance, which is extraordinary. Even though it does kind of start at eight and winds up at fifteen, mm-hmm. but I guess I took it as there's different ways to process grief Mm -hmm. and one of them is just to pretend it's not there and there was definitely something in this movie with all the characters being unable to accept guilt yeah oh yes absolutely well so here's my here was my other thing that I am like I now I can finally tell somebody and they'll know what I'm talking about so while I believe that Tony Collette gives 
an incredible performance. And I think that um, she should be nominated for awards. And I think that she is excellent. I think she's miscast. Whoa. So I think what I see from the outside looking in is an affluent family. And a family that is like every family. They're dysfunctional in different ways. The teenager is kind of a knucklehead. The little girl is a little weird and kind of finding her way and all that. The dad who's, you know, I just am being a nice dad. <laughs> and then mom who's like, you know, my, who's, she's not gelling with the, whatever the situation is. Now, once again, we, we meet her after her mother has died. So we don't see them before. But she does all the things that normal, quote fingers, normal suburban housewife, mom, artist, side job do. She goes to the, the grief counseling center and the gym. She goes to the, you know, art supply store and like has the SUV. And like she seems like a typical mom. I, Tony Collette does not say typical mom to me. She's different. She's, she's edgy. She's unique. And these are all beautiful, wonderful things that I am saying about her. But for this role, like I found myself both times and same with Charlie, same with the little girl. I felt like it would be so, and maybe this is my own suburban upbringing and my own chaotic household, like that you would never know, you know, inside the walls of that house. But like, I would have preferred to see a woman that communicates refined and put together and then watch her unravel and watch, you know, these and watch the pretty little girl who is functioning, meaning her daughter, but still kind of weird, um, getting her pretty little head chopped off. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. uh, so, so that, that was a huge sticking point for me when I thought about the first time and I still feel it after the second time. Yeah. And I, I get what you're saying. I do, uh, kind of have to point out you know, not that you don't know this, yeah. but at, because we're starting out with grief, we're starting out the movie with her mother yep. just having died. Tony Collette's character is going to be shaken up and strange sure. from the get go. Kind of like the Babadook, like how she starts out weird and then she just gets weirder. Uh-huh. Um, I, I just loved her performance so much. There were so many scenes where Tony Collette's face scared me before I saw what she was looking at. Mm -hmm. It was legitimately so terrifying watching her react to things that I would actually be like, please don't show me what she's looking at. Mm -hmm. <laughs> don't show me. I don't want to see it. Um, and the, as far as the little girl goes, actually, yeah, Haley and I watched this together. My, my lady, Haley Fouch, a mutual friend between me and Clark. She's the best. And we were talking about it afterwards and we were like, was that little girl ever a little girl? Right. Or was she always this Pyman creature? And is that why she comes across so strange from the get-go? Yes, I do believe, yes. I believe that she, we, when we see her, there's a moment, because I noticed it, it's the light. Yeah. And we, I think we see Charlie fighting with Pyman. And you can, if you go, like, I think we could pinpoint when it's Charlie, and when it's not. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, Haley pointed out 
the scene where they're at the party mm-hmm. and Charlie eats the cake, yeah. there's like clearly nuts in 100%. that cake. percent. So 100%. why would she eat it? I mean, kids can be stupid sometimes and say, oh, I know I'm not supposed to eat berries, but I love berries. But you would think this girl would not eat a cake that's just riddled with the one thing that's going to cause her throat to close up, close up and make her die. Or... Is it the type of thing where she is being influenced so she knows what she's doing? Yeah. Right? Is Paimon making her eat this cake? Is she trying to kill herself so she can start this cycle? Or is Paimon steering the ship, essentially? Yeah. You know? And like I think, so are we to believe that the clicking sound that she makes, when she's doing that, she's Paimon? Because the scene in the classroom with the boy where he freaks out and starts hitting his head on the desk, he makes that clicking sound. Right. So is that Paimon trying to come into his body? Is that just the noise that this guy makes? Yeah. It's unclear. Yeah. It is unclear. Um, yeah. I think, too, one thing I've noticed, especially knowing like a bunch of indie filmmakers, is when they cast, I mean, okay, look, first of all, if Tony Collette wants to be the lead in your first movie, like, yeah, you cast her. Like, there's no question. Yeah. But let's put that aside. The way this family looks, I think, is a ref- probably a reflection of the director, right? So, like, this is a personal story to him. And um, so I've noticed, like, with our friends or people I know who make movies, the way they cast is very much a reflection of their own personal tastes and their own personal... Um, you know, things that appeal to them. So, so I, my argument about like, about the idea of wanting a more polished or, you know, communicating to the uh, actors who communicate to the audience, all American family, um, could be my own bias because I come from a family that on the outside looks like an all American family. You know what I mean? So it's like, it could be my own thing, but I will say that regardless of the performance, what you communicate to the audience by casting certain actors, I think is important. And so that I think is my bigger problem with the casting is just that they communicate things that I think don't gel. I did see that Toni Collette was listed as an executive producer, Mm. so I imagine that she had a big hand in getting this movie made because I don't really know any of the other cast members extremely well. Um, I mean, I guess that the dad is fairly well known. Yeah, Gabriel Byrne is is a, yeah. Yeah. And Alex Wolf was in Jumanji and my friend Dahmer and like, you know, Ah. I think he's going to blow up soon, but yeah. Yeah, he's terrific. He's really good. Wow. Um, and I think that girl, that little girl, was her first movie. Yeah, and she won a Tony for playing Matilda oh, on wow. Broadway. Oh, yeah, she won a Tony when she was ten. Yeah, yes, yeah, because I mean, you know, if you look at it realistically, even though this kind of bums me out because I definitely love horror movies where I don't know anybody in the movie because mm-hmm. then it just feels like the stakes are higher because when you see a big name in there, you're like, well, surely that person's not going to die, right? So it kind of ruins it for you, right? But it is a matter of getting your movie made sometimes and putting somebody in that position that may not necessarily be the perfect casting, but will get you that green light that you're looking for. 100%. What's funny is I actually thought she was miscast in Krampus. Oh, Yes. Yeah. Agree. For the same reasons. I did not buy that couple. No. I was like, you have zero chemistry. Oh, no. Agree. <laughs> yes. And also, like, 
this is what I'm saying, this like put together, you know, McMansion lady in suburban America, that's not Tony Collette. Like, again, beautiful, unique, interesting, smart, super talented. But there, when you are embodying a character, there are types. You play a type. You have to, and, and I agree, I think it's the same problem for me at least. I don't look at her and see, um, and see that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I see it more in Hereditary than Krampus. And I, I think part of it was just I was so blown away by her performance yeah. that I was willing to accept that maybe she doesn't really look exactly like your average mother. Sure. Um, in fact, I think they could have done more with her. One of the things I love about the Babadook is how destroyed that mother looks the entire time. Yes. That they were just like, we are not going to pretty her up. This is a woman that frazzled. Is, yeah, just hanging yep. on barely to life. We're, we're not going to make her pretty. And I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So to, to Babadook, uh, once again, this is something else that I have been thinking about. So I've been thinking about why the third act does not like it's still, I'm still having a lot of problems with it, uh, reconciling it. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason is conditioning in a way. I think it's, I'm so used to our horror movies either being little horror movies that are suggestive, that show you little glimpses. So for instance, The Witch. Like you see quick flashes of a baby getting ground up or like, you know, the 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 bird like suckling on the mom. And like, but it's so fast yeah. that it never quite and and all the Black Phillip stuff is hinted at, right? So I'm used to that, or I'm used to the conjurings of the world that are commercial horror movies that are specifically like those scare sequences are like action sequences. They're set pieces, right? Yeah. So this is a movie, first of all, that's very long. It's over two hours long and it is a thick drama for sure. But the other thing is this is not a suggestive movie. Like this is a drama that shows you truly horrific things a lot. And I think that is what is sticking for me is maybe I'm just not used to it or condition or I'm conditioned differently. Yeah. But I just can't, I don't know what it is. I'm shocked that it worked so well with how much they were showing Mm -hmm. because I feel like normally with most filmmakers, if they show you all of that, it's either going to be all at the very end. So it goes out with a bang or it is going to be like you said, hinted at more subtle, I mean, just the scene where they had the very first seance and the little boy is using the chalkboard Mm -hmm. to write something. I was so taken aback by that because I'm used to, like you said, that being something that either doesn't happen at all or happens in the last scene of the movie. So when that happened, like halfway through the film, I was like, where are you going to go from here? I mean, you've already played your hand. What else can you possibly do? But they just keep upping the ante over and over and over you think it can't get any more devastating. It does. Yeah. And then you start to realize at a certain point, this family is not going to make it. No. no one here is going to survive. This is not your dad's horror film. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. And it's it's gruesome. Like, you know, the stuff that they show you is, I mean, it's very, it's very unsettling. Loss of decapitation. Yeah. What 
Okay, normally, you know, I love horror movies, uh, yes. so I'm not going to judge a horror filmmaker for making really messed up imagery, but after watching this, I couldn't help but think to myself, Ari, or Ari, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, um, what happened to you? Like, who did you watch lose their head? Yeah. Because there's so many decapitations in this movie. Yeah. I was like, something must have happened. It's It's truly, and I think that, in my opinion... When it comes to body horror, there is, to, to me, there is nothing more jarring than a headless person. Especially when they saw their own head off. Yeah. That's, oh my I God. I mean, also not pleasant, right? <laughs> but like the, 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 yeah, the little girl getting, not getting her head knocked off, lopped off. Oh, God. And we see, like, we we see the rotting head of a child a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's like, 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 to the point where the second time I saw the movie, I was like, holy shit, we've seen this little girl's head, like, four times. It just gets worse and worse every time. Um, and then the mom, the mom magically, not Tony Collette, the grandma. Yeah. Her headless body is up there. Yeah. Where's her head? I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know where it is. <laughs> like, it's just so, I mean, it's, it's, but it is to me the, the most truly jarring human condition because I suppose in theory, I don't know, you can live without an arm. You can live without a leg. You can live, um, you know, without pick something. But but if your head is separated from your body, it's like, no. There is, n- there is no coming back from that. It is the final. It is the most ultimate. And therefore, I think it, it communicates death like, like very little else. But see, at the end, even though they're all dead... Um, it kind of seems like they're not. I don't know if it's supposed to be like they've reached this special afterlife uh, where they're all like exalted now. Because I remember the beginning when Tony Collette is going through her mother's things and she finds that note that says like, "Please forgive me," but the sacrifices that we're right. making will be totally worth greater it. rewards. Yeah. yeah, than you can ever imagine. And at the end, they're all you can hear them talking, but there's no heads, so you don't know where the voices are coming mm-hmm. from. So I imagine that this is some sort of special afterlife, some sort of um, ascension, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're seeing in those moments is um, they are not, um, they are the sacrifice. That family is a sacrifice. Yeah. And they their reward is just knowing that they brought this about. So what we're, to me, what we're hearing is, you know, all the other worshipers around and, and they, she will be remembered as a queen. The grandma will be a queen and like whatever. But I don't think like, I actually, that's even, honestly, that's even more grim is the idea that this was, so for Tony Collette's character, so predestined that her suffering she was predestined to suffer because somebody else made a decision on her behalf and she spent the last however many years just trying to fucking hold it together yeah right and then and then ultimately it was for nothing 
Yeah, it, it really, it, it, this movie brings about a few questions. One thing I kept thinking, at least at the beginning of the film, when Tony Collette was going to therapy and things, yes. I was thinking, how much grief can one person handle before it kills them? Right. And that thought kept creeping into my mind. And then later I was thinking, you know, are they all doomed? Are, are we doomed by our fate? Are we doomed to be our parents? Mm-hmm. Is that just something that you can't escape no matter how much you fight it? Mm-hmm. Is this a commentary on grief? Is this a commentary on mental illness? Is this just this guy being like, I want to chop off a lot of heads. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think it will. So, I really listened a little bit more to her monologue where she, at the grief counseling, where she explains her family history. Um, everyone in her family is met with a, tra- the father starves himself to death. Yeah. The brother hangs himself. The um, sister is a schizophrenic or, par- or or I think the sister's still alive, right? She's just... I remember, uh, I think the brother was a schizophrenic and he kept saying that the mom was trying to put people in his body yes um but he hangs himself and so what was the sister's deal because i feel like i noticed this time around that the sister was not she doesn't say her sister is dead i think she says we don't speak i remember yeah i'm trying to remember i remember specifically her saying that she was estranged from her mother for a long time that her father uh starved himself to death and that the brother was schizophrenic and thought the mom was trying to put people in his body right um, I don't really remember what she said about the yeah. sister. Well, and I wonder, I mean, I guess it doesn't ever really come back into play, but it would have been really interesting if one of those worshipers or whatever was her sister, but we don't really ever get into that. Did you notice the smiling man? Um, in the closet? So, yes, but he's at the funeral. So we see him at the funeral. Charlie looks over and we see him standing there in the line and smiling at Charlie. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and I, I only noticed it the second time because I was like actually paying attention to every single face. Yeah. Um, and every little thing, like I was so focused trying to really put all the pieces together. And I did notice that he is, he's in the beginning and then he's in the end and he's smiling. Wow. You know, something I kept thinking of during the end where he's surrounded by all these naked people and they're like, come on, you're going to do this for us. I kept thinking about uh, The Sentinel, which is a terrific film and kind of shares some of, like, vaguely shares some of the same ideas as uh, you're great, you're you're destined for something greater than this, greater by their terms. Obviously, I I wouldn't want to do that, but... It, it's got that same sort of like hell is all around you and it's coming for you mm. idea. Um, another thing I kept thinking about, which I actually just watched recently for the first time, was Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Yes. Have you seen that? I have, but I it's been years. Yeah. And I only kind of remember it. I just kept thinking about it um, because it's got that thing that I really love in horror movies if it's done well, which is the whole, like, is this person going insane yes. or is this really happening? Yes, And yes. I feel like both films play that in kind of the same way until, like, the end where they're like, no, this is all really happening. Totally. Well, and, and yeah, I think um, one thing I did notice was this time around was the movie Hereditary is very heavy on supernatural stuff. Like, the first time I saw it, what I remembered was all of the human stuff. But then the second time I saw it, I noticed like, oh shit, like the flies are, are, are the, you know, 
little things that are super, the light and the book and the drawings and the little bird. And she's like literally making the, the man, you know, like the figure with the bird and all this shit, but it is very heavy on supernatural, um, which usually is much more hinted at again, um, you know, like, is it, isn't it? And then it's like, no, 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 this is like all there. And it is all there. Like a hundred percent. He crosses his T's and dots his eyes. Everything is baked in. Yeah. Um, he really goes for it. Yeah. This, I don't think I'll ever get over the scene where the sun, it's like the very end where it's all really going to hell and the sun wakes up and the mom is just up in the corner of his room. Yeah. It was so great hearing everybody slowly realize what was happening. Yes. And then when she just like crawls across the room, I just lost it. It was utterly terrifying. But yeah, it just shows what a terrific filmmaker he is. And I, I guess he must have had a really stellar cinematographer too to be able to show these things, which could come across as totally ridiculous and goofy and they are just terrifying and he shows them just with the perfect light yeah um so it's just enough to where you can your eyes really can make out what's going on but it also doesn't look silly yeah because it it did like i saw her pretty quickly but it did take other people a little bit to realize and you can hear like you were saying you can hear everyone behind you start to figure out what's going on. Yeah, you just hear a little like, oh my God. <laughs> yes, yes. When they, are, are people gasping or, yeah. yeah. It's, um. well, so like, sorry, there's one more. Th- so in, when it comes to fate or, you know, was this just all a happy coincidence? Um, you know, I noticed that, that is that symbol that keeps showing it's the necklace. It's, you know, it's carved. There are yeah. words carved on the, written on the walls. Um, yeah. and, and the symbol when, um, the brother is driving to the party, um, y- you flash by a wood pole and the symbol is there. Is that the same wood pole that she banged her head on? Is it? Oh my God. Yeah. So like, so this is where the question comes in of like, is Charlie, because, so I wonder if Charlie, if Charlie dies and the spirit is still inside her, does the spirit die? Right? So I wonder if the spirit kind of was putting all the pieces together and then kind of jumped out of her or something. I don't know. I honestly don't know, but I think we're led to believe that, yeah, she hits, she hits the right place at the right time. Yeah, I can't help but feel like whether it's Charlie or Pyman, I kind of lean towards it's Pyman inside of her, at least most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I feel like her eating the cake and her doing these things, she is trying to put this plan into motion. Right, yeah. And it is like some spirit actively making this happen. And I, I would assume that originally the grandmother's plan was to put the spirit inside of that brother. Right. And then he killed himself so that she couldn't do it. Yes. But. And then she wouldn't let him, Tony Collette wouldn't let him near Alex Wolf, the, the, her brother, or I'm sorry, her son. But then that does make you wonder because if he was able to escape that fate by hanging himself, then how come when the son jumps out of the window and lands two stories down and like probably dies? I think we're led to believe that he doesn't die. Do you think he's like close to death and then the spirit enters his body? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. I do. Okay. I think I think he is still alive when technically alive 
when he hits the ground. Yeah. And and yes, I think the spirit kind of... Because yeah. I was like, how could it enter his body if he's already dead? Yeah, I don't. Th- I think we're led to... I think that's what we're supposed to believe. Yeah. I, but I, I love that it's all so connected and it's going to be great to rewatch because there's so many things I noticed the first time. Like, I thought about it afterwards and I realized, oh, yeah, the mom and the daughter kept sleeping in the attic. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole movie, yeah. they're sleeping in the attic. And then at the end, yep. that's where everything happens. Yep. The opening shot is the attic from or, or the the treehouse or whatever from Alex Wolf's room <laughs> with the fly with the it's either an ant or a fly I mean it tells you exactly where it's going to end in the first shot yeah like it's yeah. all there and then the last shot of the film uh I thought about it and I realized that it's you know the whole symbol aside from the symbol that's like on the mm-hmm. the wood and the necklace there's the symbol of the triangle that mm-hmm. keeps popping up and the last shot of the film is that triangle with everybody inside of it. Right, right, yeah. So the prophecy had finally been fulfilled. I'm really curious what the language is because those words, like the movie really shows you, and I didn't didn't catch this the first time, but throughout the whole movie, you know, next to one of the kids' beds is this weird word written on the wall. Or, you know, it's all over the place. I wonder what language that is or what those words mean. Yeah, because I, I think I wrote them down, but a lot of them weren't even really words. Mm-hmm. Like, one of them kind of looked like it was saying satanic, but it was spelled funny, right. so it wasn't quite that. And then when the mom is making a little miniature house, she writes a little word yes. on the wall. Yes. So I was like, wait, are you the one doing this? Mm-hmm. Which, again, it's, it's playing into that whole, like, is this really happening? Right. Or is this woman just going nuts? And why does she send Charlie to the party? Why does she? Because it can be just a normal, like, you know, the parent wants to make sure that the older kid is responsible, so they force them to take the younger kid because the younger kid's antisocial and needs to get out there anyway and will probably keep the older kid in check a little bit. So there's that normal aspect of it. But it is, like, why would you force them so hard and then later blame the son for killing your daughter? And Charlie, like, really doesn't want to go. Yeah. Like, she... So it's not... the, the mom is so, like, pushy, you know what I mean? That it feels like there is an agenda because she's like, no, 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 go, go, go. Yeah, and yeah, I, I can't help but wonder, maybe part of it is the, the way that she's just unable to accept guilt and maybe if she had accepted it early on, she could have stopped some of this because, you know, she keeps talking about or – she talks about it just a couple times when she's sleepwalking mm-hmm. that time and she had paint thinner mm-hmm. that she had put all over her kids and all over herself and lit a match. And she keeps saying, well, I didn't know what I was doing. I was sleepwalking. It's not my fault. And yeah, that may be the case. Maybe you didn't mean to walk into your kid's room and try to kill them, but you did and you need to own up to your actions. You know what I think she's doing is she's trying to prevent them. She knows somehow she knows what, her mother is doing and she's trying there's something inside her that is trying to prevent this from happening and so she's going to kill the kids and she's going to kill herself and she's going to put a stop to it do you think she knew kind of what her mother was into before her son was born and that's why she didn't want to have him maybe maybe there's a lot of questions like there really are and 
Yeah, I I don't know. And and there is part of me too that really does want to know. Like I have you know what I wanted to, I realized like after I left the movie the second time, I thought to myself, I want to watch this director's commentary. That would be terrific. Because I I want like very very rarely do I want a director to explain everything to me. But this is a case where I want him to explain everything to me um, because there are so like and and I don't mean like I need an explanation. I mean, in your mind, creatively. Yeah. What, what are the answers to these questions? What was the inciting incident like, you know, or, or what were the things that her mother would do to her um, that that caused her to say, get out of my life. I never want to speak to you again. And I'm going to move into the middle of nowhere in the forest. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, sometimes it is nice to have, um, yeah, not necessarily an explanation, but just to know what was going on in their brains when right. they made that. Because I remember I asked the director of It Comes at Night, mm-hmm. what is the sickness that all these people are getting? And he kind of went on for a while and was like, well, it's not necessarily a specific sickness. I'm more trying to examine the way people react to illness and how people that are ordinary by everyday means can turn into monsters when they're faced with these crazy challenges mm. and scares. And then at the end he was like, I'm sorry, I, I know that doesn't really answer your question. And I was like, no, that's the answer I wanted. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to know what you were thinking when you made this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and because there are so many specific things in this script, because I feel like, was to use the It Comes at Night example, I think it's very clear that It Comes at Night is all of this mythology or story building or whatever is painted with a very broad brush like I I actually that was one of my biggest problems with it was again I don't need an explanation but I actually felt like the script was very flimsy for it comes at night like there's not a lot here and so it doesn't surprise me that he was like oh no it's not a specific thing it's just like this concept and whatever with hereditary it is very much like it's there you know it's there yeah and so it's kind of the complete opposite and so, yeah, I, those are answers that I know he has that yeah. I want. No, definitely. I want to know what the language is. Yes. I want to know where this mythology comes from. I want to know what the words on the walls mean. I want to know what's up with the birds. Why Why is the bird a constant motif yeah. throughout this film? I really want to know what's up with the book. Like, the first time she tries to burn the book and she catches on fire, and then the second time she throws it in there, and I fully expected her to ignite, and instead her husband goes up in flames. Yeah, I think it's just, honestly, I think it's just the magic is too strong at that point. And and it's like they they have they being the spirits or the powers or whatever, it's so strong at that point that nothing is stopping this. Like nothing. The, yeah. it, the wheels, there there has to be a a moment. Um, I don't know if I could recall it off the top of my head, but I bet there is a moment where things have they switch over to where it's like, nope. This yeah. is emotion. Like this is happening. Nobody's stopping it. Yeah, yeah. Because she definitely once her husband catches on fire, and then that change comes over her face, mm-hmm. and you just know like it's on now. Yep. The woman is gone, and yeah. the demon has come home. Totally. And that's who's totally. running the show now. Yeah, and it is. Yeah, and I do wonder um, because they do live in a very big house that's clearly very meticulously designed, and with a treehouse out back, and um, and she has the luxury of being an artist, um, which leads me to believe that they she comes from money, yeah, and so 
I, I would be very curious to know. It kind of actually reminded me a lot of paranormal activity. Like, you know, the mythology behind that is like Grandma Lois, you know, made this pact with a demon yeah. um, because she wanted wealth and power. And so these girls through this, you know, this um, lineage are all financially very well off. And the reason is because Grandma Lois is fucking some shit up. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I think it's the same with this with this situation. Like, yeah. Grandma is... Like, they even say, the Grandma... Oh, yeah, um, my mother used to, used to crochet, like, doormats. And you're yeah. just like, oh, that's cute. How did you ever, like, survive? That doesn't... That's not a job. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a hobby that yeah. you do. And so it just... That led me to believe that... Again, Again, she had money. Yeah, very Rosemary's baby. Exactly. Which taught me that if a man ever covers your kitchen in flowers, it's because he's about to sacrifice your baby to advance his career. So yes. watch out. Yeah, no flowers. <sighs> no flowers. No flowers here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, all right. Any any final thoughts? Like I it's such a movie that takes so much time to process. Oh, there is something. I uh I really love the score oh, of yes. this movie. The throbbing. Yes. The pulsing. It's yes. so subtle. Yes. You almost don't notice it. I don't, I don't think I noticed it for a little bit. Yep. And then all of a sudden I was like, why do I feel this adrenaline mm-hmm. kicking through at this moment? Other than the fact that this movie is incredibly intense. Well, part of the reason why it's so intense is because that soundtrack... Uh-huh or score rather, is so well played. It's just like barely underneath the surface. Mm -hmm. It feels almost muffled. I actually kept thinking of the uh, Telltale Heart. Yes, sure. Heartbeat under the floorboard. Yep. It's that same kind of sensation of like something's coming up from underneath and it's about to get you. Yeah, I think you're you're probably spot on with that for sure. Yeah, I noticed it the second time. For sure. Um, the first time I didn't. and um, But the second time I was like, oh shit, this is like... And it is. It's through the whole movie. But it is. It's subtle. It could have been very easy to just crank that up. Um, but he doesn't do it. He really, really doesn't do it. Yeah, you really don't even notice it. And as much as I love scores that you instantly walk away from the movie and say, wow, that was mm. an incredible score. How powerful. I can't wait to get that on vinyl. Yep. It's just as exciting to hear a score that you don't really notice, yes. but advances your viewing of the movie. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah, for sure. It's um, there's a lot going on in this movie. Like it's, I don't, I don't know how you know. I, I'm gonna. I think we're going to interview Tony Collette um, for fandom. You know, for the junket, and I, it, you know, of course, you get four minutes. How do you talk about this movie for four minutes? You can't. Like, I don't know. I don't even know. So I think think I'm just going to try and approach it and be like, I want to have a four-minute conversation with you about, like, motherhood and why is this so ripe for horror? Yeah. Why is this the place? Whether it's her role in Sixth Sense, whether it's, you know, her role here, whether it's the Babadook, whether it's Rosemary's Baby, like, whether it's the Exorcist, why is it that mothers and motherhood is, you know, so terrifying? It is. It's really terrifying for me, just the notion that I could ruin someone's life. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. I don't do a good job. 
Um, so I, I guess that aspect is terrifying to me, but yeah, that would be interesting to hear what she says about it. Does she have children? I don't know. I don't know, but she's played a lot of moms. She has. And in, uh, played a lot of moms in genre movies. Yeah. Krampus, Hereditary, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense is her only Oscar nomination. I had almost forgotten about Sixth Sense until she's you so just mentioned good. it. She's so good she's in that. She's so good in that movie. I'll never forget that car scene. It's so, oh, it's so good. So great. Yeah. She's terrific. Yeah, I am. I'm still chewing on this one. Um, I definitely want to see it again. That's, that's still where I'm at. It's just, oh man, it's so good. Like it, it really just, it's like someone squeezing you and then releasing and then doing it again throughout this entire film. Like it's so tense. It's almost hard to breathe when you're watching it. But then after you feel so high because of what you've just been through, uh, Haley and I just couldn't even like fathom sentences after this movie ended. We just kept like shouting at each other like, ah, it's too much. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 really terrific. I if you can take it, I would definitely say watch this movie. For sure. Absolutely. And we've also just spoiled everything for you. So, well, yeah. so I would hope you would watch the movie first. But if you know, but but then again, like and this might be a good place to close is like actually the beginning is we were talking about trailers. So I'm usually a person, especially when it comes to genre, if it comes out of Sundance, if it comes out of TIFF, if it comes out of Fantastic Fest, if there's buzz around a genre film, don't show me anything. I'll go see it. Cause, and I've been spoiled. Fantastic Fest has truly spoiled me in that I've sat down to so many movies that I have no idea what they are. I just know a friend that I trust said go see it or I've heard it's good or whatever. And then you get Autopsy of Jane Doe and you don't know that's coming. Or you get yeah. L and you don't know that's coming or whatever. And um, But so I specifically didn't watch the trailer for this movie. And as I mentioned earlier, when I finished the first screening, I went home and immediately watched the trailer. And I found myself thinking, should I have watched the trailer? Like, should I have gotten, for this movie in particular, a better idea of what was coming? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I definitely am the same way where... It's, it's great to be able to go to Fantastic Fest and sit down and know like next to nothing about a film and just watch it. No trailer, n- no anything. Sometimes I don't even read the synopsis. Mm-hmm. If, it's, if it is from people I trust, if there is enough hype, I will just go in blind and watch it. So I heard so much good stuff about this movie. I went in as blind as I could. Mm-hmm. I had seen like a couple of stills. I don't think I watched any trailers. I roughly knew what the plot was about but I just kept hearing people say it's so grim and upsetting. I'm mad I watched it. And I was like, all right, I got to see this. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm glad that I went in so blind because there was, I watched the trailer after I got out of the movie and there were some things in there that I was like, I would have been real upset if I had seen that. Same. Like they, this. they put the, her smashing her head yeah. in the attic in the trailer. And that's probably the most disturbing scene in the movie to me. Yeah. That and the piano wire. I think yeah. the piano wires, but, but yeah, it's a one, two punch essentially. Yeah. And, and I always worry about the type of, movie that it's setting up like if you watch this trailer do you get the movie that you're actually going to watch and I still don't know the answer for hereditary like having seen I've seen I think all the trailers and I don't know if I I still can't definitively say like do not watch this there was some stuff there's stuff in um 
God, there were a couple of, there's been a couple of trailers recently where I've been like, so glad I didn't watch that. And, but this one, I just don't know. I don't know what I would say. I would definitely say you can watch it and then see the movie and there will be a lot of stuff in the movie that was not in the trailer just because there's so much happening in this movie. Yeah. So there's a good chance you could watch the trailer and still not be spoiled on what happens. And so that's great. But I, I would have been really upset if I had seen some of those images yeah. before I watched the movie. And I mean, for for true most impact, like, you know, most substantial impact to to let that happen. And you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, because you know. I yeah I didn't know anything that was gonna happen. I just knew that the mom had died and the family was dealing with it. Yeah, and I was just prepared for it to be very sad uh-huh. and to walk away feeling sad. Away, Vey. I'm exhausted just talking about Hereditary. <laughs> I feel traumatized all over again. Yeah. Well, good. At least we have each other. Yes. Um, and I normally don't do this, but I feel like since we've had two very lengthy cinematic conversations, people are going to want to know where they can find your writing because you write and you, um, you know, and analyze film and pop culture. So where would you send people for that? Probably uh, Birth Movies Death. And um, Bloody Disgusting are the two main ones that I've been contributing to lately. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to think because I'm so hard on myself as a writer. It's hard to be like, go read this one. But I I think my piece on Jaws is probably the strongest thing I've written in a while where I compared the movie to the book. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've also written for Collider, Daily Dead, Playboy, Delirium, ComingSoon.net. Like, you name it, I've probably written for it. Yeah. But yeah, I love birth movies, death. I'm I'm as much of a fan of that site as I am a writer for it. Yes, they they do. They do the Lord's work, for sure. They really do. Or they do Pyman's work. They do Hail, <laughs> All right, my love. Thank you for giving up your Friday night to talk about movies with me. Of course. Super that's what fun. I'd be doing anyway. That's good. I love it. <laughs> all right. That's all. Goodbye. All righty, friends. There you have it. Hereditary in a nutshell. And Kaylin and I could have obviously kept going. Um, yep. Yeah. Jury's still out for me. I still don't know what I think, but I do think that this is a uh, a movie that features remarkable performances. It is expertly crafted. It is intentional. It is deliberate. And, um, you know, I am so curious how people are going to respond to this movie. I really can't tell if if general audiences are going to hate it or if they are going to be into it. So we shall see. Thank you all so much for listening to Sending the Wolf. I am traveling next week. We are doing a live show in Atlanta. Um, so sending the wolf is going to be off next week. Um, I'm sorry, our schedule has been a little loosey goosey, but, um, but we are going to get back to it. It's just been a crazy busy time and I'm excited for the live show and you guys are going to get to hear the live show once we complete it. Um, uh, passes and access is still available to the Terminus conference in Atlanta, Georgia on Saturday, June 16th, 2018. So I hope to see you there. Thank you all so much for listening and I'll see you next time. (music) 